for me, it was always about like, what is my unique insight? What is the thing that I can deliver that is valuable to other people? And if you're delivering value over a long period of time consistently, you end up receiving some value in return. I think that's just like the golden rule of business ultimately. When people talk about social media, the focus always tends to be negative. But we all know that on the bright side, social platforms have made it easier than ever for anyone to reach millions of people and turn their ideas, creativity, and passions into purpose and profit. And because of that, the rise of the quote-unquote creator economy, something that no one was talking about just a few years ago, has completely reshaped the way we think of brands, e-commerce, and business. Forbes estimates that influencers generate more than $100 billion per year, and that number continues to trend upward as more platforms cater to these creators. And did you know that one in four people in the Gen Z population say their dream job is to be an influencer? Whether or not you are or want to be a creator, if you are a citizen of the internet, you are impacted by the content that finds its way into your social feeds every single day. And that's why today's episode is so important. To discuss the rise of the creator economy, its impact on your well-being, and what comes next, I wanted to speak with a unique mix of guests to explore this breakthrough industry. Today, I'm joined by Eva Longoria and Sahil Bloom. Eva might be best known for playing Gabrielle on Desperate Housewives, but in addition to that role, she is an award-winning actress, producer, director, founder, and investor. Long before influencers roamed Instagram and TikTok, Eva was building authentic, long-term relationships with brands like L'Oreal, and she's learned some incredible lessons on how to stand out and stick around. Unlike Eva, Sahil Bloom has not been in the spotlight for 20 years, but his rise from an investor to a Twitter sage in less than two years has allowed him to gain the attention of millions of people. He's also taught others how to build their own massive audiences and has created a venture fund in the process. In this episode, we'll explore why the creator economy has become such a big business, how to stand out how to fine-tune who you are following as a bystander, and why there's still so much opportunity for all of us in this internet-driven fandom future. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. I am so excited to be here with you, Eva Longoria, and you, Sahil Bloom, two people that are, can I even say influencer? That word is just like so <laughs> jargony at this point. So well known in so many ways, but also have created brands and have thoughts about where this sort of creator economy is heading in the future. Um, Eva, you've been obviously part of this um celebrity world for decades now. Sahil, that, you I'm old. posted your I'm first old. tweet two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like the newbie to the to the group. Um and you, you might you might have been someone who's like figured it out in the more recent times, but have such different opinions. So I'm really excited to get both of your takes on where this is all going and how everyone else out there should be either taking advantage of this or avoiding some parts of this new world of the internet. But maybe Eva, I'll start with you. 
you know, tell us a little bit about when you were younger, like, did you always want to cast yourself as someone like in the limelight, in the spotlight? And obviously for you, that started on the big screen and now it's transitioned both to the big screen and the internet and all the other little screens out there. So Mm -hmm. like, what was the ambition for you when you were younger, as you were sort of gearing up to be that influencer person? Yeah. <laughs> well, I am much older than Sawhill. <laughs> but I, um, first of all, I want to disclaim that I know nothing about this space. Like I am as clueless as everybody else. <laughs> now, nobody's an expert in this, in this <laughs> Web3 future. I think we're all That's like true. learning as we go and we're flying the plane as we're building it. Um, but, uh, but to answer your question is, oh God, no, I, I had no aspiration to be an influence on anybody. Um, I, I grew up with a lot of strong women, all my aunts and sisters and my mom, they're educators. They're very, very, very smart. I, I believe me when I tell you I'm the disappointment of the family by becoming an actor. Uh, <laughs> they're like, yeah, all right. And, um, so I didn't know what I was going to be when I grew up, but I knew I would be successful because that's all I saw around me. Mm. Everybody was successful around me. And the women in particular were independent and smart and resourceful. And so I knew I was like, I can do anything. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to be really good at it. So that's kind of like just was my drive. My drive and ambition was success, whether I was going to be a dentist or a lawyer or a teacher um, I just knew I would be good at it. So what drew you into acting or, you know, all these different creative, you have so many different brands now, um, but the creative aspect of you started, you know, uh, acting and you became well known. And was that something that you felt like was artistic? Um, or you were like, no, actually, I think I could be successful at this thing. Or maybe it was a combination of both. Yeah, I mean, I actually, when I entered the Hollywood space, I was more fascinated with behind the scenes. I was fascinated with producing and directing, like the minute I landed in Hollywood. I fell into acting because I was like, well, I'll just do this. I'm just going to like blah, blah, blah. But I really liked putting projects together and I liked (laughs) uh, being bossy. That's basically what directors do. They're just bossy. And uh, and then I was like, oh, I'm good at it. Um, And so that's kind of what led me down the entertainment path. But yeah, you know, I'm from a different era. Like I remember when <laughs> I've been married a couple of times. I remember when my, at my, at my second wedding, um, <laughs> there was no Twitter, there was no camera phones. So people asked me like, Oh my God, how did you do your wedding with Tony? You know, with all that press. And I was like, there was, there was that sidekick. You know, that, and the Blackberry that took really fuzzy photos. <laughs> yeah. And so I remember Twitter came out like that <laughs> year. So I, we didn't, and I didn't grow up with celebrity culture either, either. Like when I grew up, the only tabloid or, or really, you know, rag magazine was National Enquirer. And they were like, aliens landed in Omaha. Robert De Niro's getting a divorce. Like it was, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like it was so silly. Now it's like an industry, right? The, 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 the tabloids, the, the websites, crazy. the gossip sites. And that's why I loved. You have no when, choice. Yeah. And so I didn't grow up with, with any of that, like 
privacy uh, invasion of it or like so when I when I Desperate Housewives, you know, obviously gave me this global platform, but it, there wasn't that that thing. But what I will say is I loved when Twitter and Instagram happened was because then we got to control the narrative. Right. Like, so if there was something stupid mm -hmm. in the Internet or in a magazine, I could just go and clear it up myself be like, um, no, I did not steal a bottle of shampoo from a CBS, like, you know, or whatever <laughs> craziness they wanted to put out there. And that's what I liked about it, control. And that's what I love about Web3 is this controlling of your, con not controlling, your ownership of this content creation. And uh -huh. so that's what I, I do feel like it's the next evolution of, of your image and your brand, right? Like why if you see the things yeah. you sign when you get on social media, you're giving away your firstborn. I mean, you don't own any of the stuff you post. And so, you know, this web three right. is, is uh, for me about that. It's about IP. It's about ownership and it's about creating content that you can monetize off of for eternity, not some studio system and not some agent and not some manager, you know, I feel like you're hitting on something really interesting, which I think about a lot around like, the decentralization of trust over time. And when I think about like commerce and you talk about the creator economy, I think a lot about how commerce has always followed trust. And so like when you go way back in time, trust was basically a monopoly held by like the biggest companies like P&G, Johnson and Johnson. They basically had a monopoly on trust because they controlled the airwaves. They controlled all of the advertising on TV, on radio and magazines, all of that stuff. It was controlled by them. So they owned trust and commerce followed. They built massive businesses on the back of that. Now, over time, what's happened as these platforms have risen, like Twitter, like Instagram, all these things, is that you're putting the ability to build and and foster a community of trust in the hands of anyone, rather than it being just owned by these massive companies, you have yeah. anyone in the world, millions and millions of these little points of trust around the world. And then commerce follows on top of that. So to your point, uh, Eva, you can build a business on the back of the trust that you're able to build and accrue with your small audience, however big it is. Yeah, yeah, 1000%. So Sahil, I have a question for you though. Like, okay, Eva got Eva got into this um, before there was Twitter. Um, you got into this <laughs> way after there was Twitter, and like in a year. And now I'm none of us. And now none of us have Twitter. Hundreds of thousands or millions of people. <laughs> <laughs> and now Twitter's dead, right? No, I'm just kidding. Maybe <laughs> soon by the time the podcast comes out. Um, right. So what what inspired you to want to become a you know, an influencer as it is. Um, and, and why did you choose that platform versus others? Like, where do you see this whole economy going? Yeah, I, I, I will say I definitely never had ambitions to become an influencer. I think I'm probably similar uh, to, to Eva in that way that like, my guiding light was always on how I could create value. And I think you tend to find that in general with people that have been successful in building trust with an audience and in building real businesses on the back of this is that it was never guided by like, I want to be famous type culture. I always think that that just builds like a very fickle relationship, um, yeah. very transactional and something that just falls away, right? Like if you had ever, um, you know, gone into trying to just, oh, I'm going to build a following. Like that's what I want to do. I want to build an audience. I just think that that audience that you build is not really the audience you want. That's not your like thousand true fans to use the phrase people like to use. So for me, it was always about like, what is my unique insight? What is the thing that I can deliver that is valuable to other people? And if you're delivering value over a long period of time consistently, you end up receiving some value in return. I think that's just like the golden rule of business ultimately. And so 
I kind of went into it with that lens. I had a day job. I was working, you know, in private equity. I was investing. I was doing quite well, frankly. Um, and I started doing this on the side because it was something I got a lot of energy from. You know, lo and behold, fast forward like a year or so, and it had clearly grown. There was like product market fit to it, and there was something to it. And so then I ended up doubling down and really going all in on it. Um, but it was never driven by this desire to be famous or to you know have influence. Candidly, I'm having like one of those weird life holy shit moments right now where I'm like, I grew up watching, you know, Eva's movies and shows and everything. And now I'm sitting here recording this and like feeling like a complete <laughs> imposter. So uh, I never set out into any of this uh, to to try to become an influencer or famous. I just think when you pursue things with a genuine eye towards creating value for other people, that's how you establish and build trust. I agree with that totally which is authenticity. And I think even more so with Web3, um, when you go to it with a money grab, you are snuffed out by the community, right? Like you are squashed when you arrive. You are dead on arrival if that mm -hmm. feel if you, feels money grabby. Um, and I, I feel that way with any major innovation that has happened over the last decade. Look at Spanx. Right. Like Spanx was a woman who was like, I'm tired of not being able to wear white pants because you can see my cellulite. Look at the beauty blender. A makeup artist was like, you know what? I hate these freaking square triangle sponges. I think there needs to be a round one because our faces are round. And <laughs> there was like a functionality and it, it, it delivered a service that was not it there. It was a huge white space, you know. And um, and so for me, I do think, you know, that authenticity. And if you look at influencers out there, like Tabitha Brown, who was like, I'm going to be a vegan and I'm going to document my road to this cooking vegan style and I'm going to mess up along the way. Her fan base is so beautiful and loyal because she's beautiful and, and authentic. And she became during COVID this overnight sensation. But if you look at her Instagram, she's, there's nothing money grabby about her. She's like, Oh my God, I have a cookbook. Like this is crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that authenticity and, yeah. and going into the space. That's why a lot of people are like, Eva, I want to be famous like you. And I'm like, great, go cure cancer. That'll make you real famous. Like, wh what do you mean when you say, yeah. So tell me this. One in four Gen Z people say they want to be an influencer. So as you are giving them advice, let's imagine we're giving all of them advice right now, <laughs> this 25% of Gen Z, like what is, how do you find that thing that's authentic to you? And, and how do you think that authenticity influences kind of the future path you're on? If that's the the role you want to play, if you do want to, you know, stand for something, what, what do you have to avoid or what do you have to say no to when you're doing that? I think what, what Eva was just hitting on with, I think it was Tabitha, um, was the name of the, uh, the woman you were, you were talking about is like a perfect example. And that's someone who has basically shared their journey. It's like, what am I learning on a daily basis that I think is really cool? Like, what is that struggle or that experience or that journey that I'm going on that I think is really interesting or formative? Because if you think it's interesting or formative, there's people out there that are going to think the same. Like, you, you're never mm -hmm. alone in any experience or any struggle that you're going through. And so I think that the people that are doing that that are just sharing that like day-to-day -day journey struggle are the people that are able to go and build this like really loyal, connected, trusting audience. It's the people that go into it saying like, what is the algorithm going to like? 
that end up having that you know, uh, fickle, weak connection in the long run, in my mind. Yeah, I agree. Eva, were there things that you had to say no to when you were making choices about what is authentic to me as you were starting out in Hollywood? And what were some of those decisions you had to make? Um, Yeah, you know, I was was blessed in the fact I was a little older when fame hit me. I was 29, which is like over the hill in Hollywood. (laughs) So I kind of had a a strong... (laughs) hold of who I was. So, I, so Hollywood didn't really define me where I think when you're really young, if you look at a Britney Spears mm-hmm. or a, um, uh, a, even a Christina Aguilera, like in that moment when they were like, Britney Spears is America's sweetheart and Christina Aguilera is the bad girl. And then they kind of ended up having to play into that. And it was like, no. And, and you can see that, you know, the consequences of being somebody or not your whole life. Right. Um, that that ends up not it doesn't end well and so for me I already knew who I was I was pretty centered in who I was but yeah I say I say no to so much and so I was able to say no to so much because I knew who I was and I knew what I wanted to do I wasn't really like you know please can mm. can I have another you know <laughs> it was like it was like oh no I don't <laughs> right. I'm fine I don't need Just like to, every shiny I really object. need to do that yeah yeah, and now even more so specifically yeah. with and, with Instagram and 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 influencing is like I get so many brands who are like Eva, Eva, could you? I'll pay you to post this, and I'm like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. Is that a is that a vitamin? Is it a gummy bear? Is is it candy? <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say the other thing about you know I've like I've heard that stat before, um, Brett, about one one in four uh, Gen Z wanting to become an influencer, and I think there was like a comparison at one point that showed the percentage in America versus the percentage in China, and it was like America's doomed because so many Gen Z want to become influencers <laughs> versus become like engineers or whatever the thing was in China, and you know one of the things I think is like there's a there's this uh, perception that like being an influencer is some like amazing you know lucrative job. And the reality is that the vast majority of quote unquote influencers are not really making a living wage uh, and let alone like a durable living wage, right? Like income that you don't know might disappear, you know, in two weeks when the ad market pulls back 50% like it is right now, right? Like I, I, I don't even know what influencer spend looks like right now, but that's the first thing that gets cut in a recession is like every single company I know in the consumer space is like pulling back on marketing spend because that's what they do. It's the easiest thing to cut. And so there is this like, rose-colored lens that people like to look through the idea of being an influencer. It looks so sexy. It's like, look, I can take all these glamorous pictures of my life or share these tweets or whatever it is. And the reality of it is like a daily grind that is really, really difficult. I mean, Jimmy Donaldson, you know, Mr. Beast, who's like now, you know, one of the most famous influencers in the world. I think he posted videos daily for seven years until he got a thousand views on one of them. And I think about that a lot because I just think like, how many people would have just quit? I I mean, seven years of like pounding your head into a wall every day doing videos to get absolutely no dopamine hits, like a a thousand views, like he didn't get a single dopamine hit for that long and he stuck with it. And so now when you see that type of success, you know, everyone wants to do that, wants to be that, but you don't want to go put in the seven years of grind that actually were involved in it. I mean, how long did you, you know put in work on your craft, working towards your one big break, Eva. It's like people don't see that. They only see the glamorous side of becoming an influencer. 
Yeah, I actually, uh, I actually get anxiety when I see influencers buying houses. I'm like, how are they going to pay for the mortgage? Because mm. I'm like, this is so fleeting. <laughs> it's so fleeting. Like what you make today is not going to be next year's income. And unless you really, you know, right. build off of that and, and, and really use the influencer bit as a springboard to something bigger or something else or whatever. Right, that's but, what I was going to yeah. say. Like there's a difference between an influencer and an artist and a business owner. Right. And I think, I think yeah. what, what my hypothesis is like, we are all influencers if we are a business owner, a fund manager, a artist of any sort, an author, like a podcaster, because we need to disseminate information about the thing that we are actually building, right? And so we have to sort of play by these rules somehow. Like, I mean, I, I named a company Brit & Co. And um, <laughs> I, I'm Brit and I needed to be the person in front of the company, the face of the brand. But after doing that for, you know, over 11 years now, I'm like, I'm kind of tired. I don't want to post every day just because the Instagram algorithm says I should and do a reel and post on Twitter and reply to every tweet. And it's exhausting. And so, yeah. you know, where do you guys think the trade-offs are in – kind of doing your part as the leader of your business, whether that's like an independent business or a big venture backed business. Um, and then like keeping your mental health in check. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a big, that you just hit on something really big. It's like when people say, I want to do influencers, but then they hit that point where they go, I don't, oh, I don't want to post every day. And you're like, well, then don't be, don't do this. It's like, I'm going to be a dentist, but I don't really like teeth. It's like, that is the job. The job <laughs> is posting every day. The job is creating content. Right. But I think what you said also is like, you're an influencer because you're giving out information about what you're really building. So like I follow this guy who makes pasta because I love mm -hmm. the way he makes pasta and he makes different shapes. And he has a pasta business. His, his influencer status just happened because he's really good at this other thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's what he, so, so it's okay if he doesn't post every day because the algorithm told him to because he's busy doing his real thing. You know? And I think that's where when people go, I need to be an Instagrammer. Well, that job, that, that is different. Like I, and I don't know, Sahil, you could probably speak to that more than I could. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. It's like, what are you, what is your long-term game that you're playing is what I always mm -hmm. think about. And what I, the advice I give to people that are trying to get into this, like influencing, et cetera. Um, is like, what, what are you building into, right? Because there's income generating activities and then there's wealth building activities. And the reality is if you're just playing the influencer game, all you're doing is trying to generate a little bit of income. You're like taking all of the little, you know, onesies and twosies that Evo was talking about, like the brands that come and say, hey, post about this gummy or do this or do that for me. And like, you're taking all of those. You're just saying yes to everything. You have no discipline around it because you're just trying to like make income in the moment. And that is fickle. And that's not going to like, you know, be last for 10 years because the reality is influence is kind of waning. I mean, there's not really precedent for non, you know, film and TV actors, actresses to have real influence over like a 10 plus year time horizon. And when mm -hmm. you think about your career as an individual, I mean, it's from the time you're 20 until you're like potentially 60 that you might be, you know, working and needing to earn a living in order to pay the bills and, you know, feed your family, et cetera. And so 
I've always thought about from the get-go, like what is the longer term game that I'm playing? What are the wealth creating activities that you can build on the back mm. of this this trust and this reach you have? And so, you know, Britt, you mentioned like I have a fund, uh, you know, I raised a venture fund and that's long-term wealth creation. You have carried interest in a fund, you're investing in companies, you're building relationships there. You know, I'm writing a book. It's like, that's a longer term thing. That's a pillar of something much larger than just having social media reach. And so I always encourage people to think about that, like use that framework of income generating versus wealth generating uh, and really be harsh on yourself on which which game you are actually playing in that moment. So, well, how does that play into the stuff you're posting about every day, though, and like how you're participating on social media or in this quote unquote creator economy? Like, okay, you want your book to be successful. You want your fund to be successful. Do you need to be on Twitter every day? Like you post awesome content. I love it. <laughs> but like, wh- how do you discern in your mind? Okay, I'm going to spend an hour or two a day thinking about my tweets for tomorrow and finding these cool graphs and charts um, because that's going to give me the ROI of X. Yeah, I mean, for me, it all ties together, right? Like I've never wanted to have... Um you know, one thing be so far out in left field that it didn't make sense to tie into my other activities and other ecosystems. So when I'm writing things on Twitter or in my newsletter or posting things on Instagram, whatever it is, generally speaking, it's somehow related to like book topics or things that I'm interested in from an investment standpoint. It's leading to, you know, new relationships there. Maybe it's like a test to see if something resonates with my audience for the eventual book. Because frankly, social media is a massive hack for testing book ideas in advance to know like what is viral and what is going to be shared, um, what's going to actually drive word of mouth. So I, I tend to think that like, for me, at least in my ecosystem, it all ties together because it's sort of like knowledge creator stuff versus appearance creator. Like I'm not, I don't share a whole ton of pictures of myself. Like there's more now because <laughs> I'm trying to build more of a personality connection and I've got a six month old at home. So I'm sharing like more cute baby pictures on Instagram and with my <laughs> wife and whatnot. Um, but for me, all of it, I try to at least have tie together so that it never feels like I'm trading time away from the longer term activities for these short term things. Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. So you think of your ROI in terms of like, this is all part of the same thing. I'm testing things. I'm interacting with a community. I've now like primed the pump too for when I drop something big, which, which every business owner should do. Right. Um, not just influencer. And then I I have a question actually just for Eva kind of related to all Mm -hmm. of this is like, how do you choose what to work on like you're now you've, you've reached the point in your career and in your life where you have uh the freedom to make those decisions and to be really discerning about what you take on and what you don't you yeah. are doing a lot today it's not like you're not you know working on a whole bunch of things so h- how are you making those choices like how are you prioritizing what to focus on yeah well you know i i always tell people this that time is my greatest asset for me when you're young it's not you have a lot of time you have plenty of time with at my age i'm like i don't want to waste any more time and time is just like money you're either investing it spending it or wasting it and so i choose things that either uh invest my time in something like my tequila it takes up a lot of time the brand of my tequila casa del sol but but it, that's a long game, right? Like you were just saying, is that a long game? What, like what's what's the end goal? Um, so that's a long game. I know I'm investing my time in this particular project. Uh, you know, the, the, I'm, right now I'm spending time in Spain because I'm shooting a show. So that's really immediate. And and that's going to have, you know, it's, it's obviously um, uh, that will come to fruition in its own way. And so outside of that, though, it's, it's really 
am I going to enjoy it? You know, I, I, I remember they asked me to do my podcast and I was like, if I see it on my calendar every day and there's an hour in my calendar that I'm like, why did I say yes to this? I know it was a bad choice. And when I decided to do my mm-hmm. podcast, I was like, no, mm-hmm. I'm going to look at that every hour. Every time it's on my calendar, I'm going to, I'm going to be in a bad mood. I'm going to And I said, unless I'm talking about like food or wine, <laughs> I'm not going to enjoy this. And so they're like, do it about food. And now every time it's on my calendar, I'm like, oh my God, today we're talking about chocolate. Like I get so excited. I could talk about, <laughs> you know, the tomato for four hours if you talk, if you wanted to. And, um, and my, my co-host, you know, we're both, geeky about it. And like, I'm like that I enjoy. I love spending, of course, spending time with my family and I love cooking. And so my, actually my content is, is, is that it's like, Oh, look what I'm doing today. My content isn't specifically Mm. brand forward or brand focus. Um, because I'm not, I'm not an influencer, but, um, so yeah, I look at, I look at every project with like, am I going to enjoy spending this time that is so valuable? And I've left a lot of money on the table, um, because I'm blessed enough to say no, I'm blessed enough to say, you know what, I really don't need that money to put, like I said, this, what does this contraption do? Why do why would I post about it? You know? Um, and so I think my fan base is pretty hip to who I am and kind of, kind of go, they know they come to me for certain stuff, you know, and, and they know I'm pretty, pretty real. What about um, Angel City FC, Eva? So you were the first mm-hmm. investor in the women's soccer team out of LA. Where does that come in? I get the tequila thing because yeah. I get like you got the food and drinking like vibe. I, I understand that. <laughs> I'm buying a bottle I, of your Anejo Reserve right now, um, by the way. Yay! I get the beauty thing. I get beauty. I get acting. I don't get soccer. And I'm a soccer player. Oh, uh, I've played no, soccer my whole anything, life. So where does that come into tell play you, for you? Let me tell you. Angel City FC is probably an extension of my life's work, which is empowering women, whether it's in Web3, whether it's behind the camera, cool. whether it's acting, whether it's this. And Natalie Portman came to us before Angel FC, and she was like, did you guys know – the female national soccer team does not make the same amount of money as the men's national soccer team. And the women's national soccer team has won how many world cups? Like we have way more champions than the men's team. Mm -hmm. And we were like, what? So we kind of banded together during the me too times up movement um, to help with gender equality and, and, and equal pay. And that spurred this idea of like Natalie going, why don't we create a, an environment and an ecosystem that women deserve in female soccer. And that's where that idea came to fruition. So it had nothing, again, had nothing to do with profit, had nothing to do with money grabby, had nothing to do with like, ooh, let's go make some money. It was about, you know what? It would be great to create a, um, a, 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 a what is it called? Oh my God, no, a, a pilot program. <laughs> It'd be great to create this pilot program of like, what would a team run by women, invested by women and played by women look like? Do you think that mm-hmm. would be successful? And we that. did it and it is. And now people can go, oh, okay. So female investor, females can be smart investors and wait, we can look to tap into a female investor pool and, and wait, you can have gender equity mm-hmm. and, and, and have purpose behind profit. <laughs> oh, interesting. Like, so right. it was really birthed from that. And I think that's why it's authentically successful. I'm such a fan of this idea of, um, 
banding together to do things. It's how I built BFF earlier this year to try to drive women into Web3, per your point. And um, Brit and Co. was the idea of Brit in a community. Like, and it's, um, it's sort of like, not just the me generation, the influencer generation, it's the we, right? And, and I guess my question is, are you seeing more of this happening or do you think it's more powerful uh, for anyone that's a creator, a business owner, an investor, um, or trying to drive a movement like this women's empowerment angle? And, and how do you get started doing that? But before you answer, I just want to point out we can cut this out. The U.S. is up one to zero. So just so you know. Um, <gasps> oh, my God. Thank you for that. Oh, my God. This is huge. Yes, yes, yes. So, like, what is the difference between building a community and building a personal brand? And how how oh. should people think about that as we move into the future with all these new tools that we have at our disposal? Yeah. Well, I think that's it. That's the point is, like, we you when I was coming up, like – was it MySpace? I don't even know. I'm 112 years old, so I don't know what there was. But I do know, <laughs> like, it was very hard to create community. So the fact that I would go to London and have fans was crazy to me. Like, I was like, how do you even know who I am? I don't even understand that. Now, you have so many freaking tools to create community across the globe. We live in a global community. And it's I love engaging with my fans in Australia, in Dubai, in like all parts of the world. And so I think it's, it's easier more now than ever to create a like-minded community. And, you know, uh, uh, you know, one of my new year's resolutions, which I can't believe it's already, <laughs> is it December or is it November? I don't know what we are when this comes out, but the I mean, Thursday, basically like my, December. it's yeah. Thursday. Yeah. When this comes it's out, Thursday. this will be December. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact, well, anyway, my last new year's resolution <laughs> was like to, to, to clean out my content feeds, right? Like, so I, when I was pregnant, mm-hmm. I read a book by Deepak Chopra. He gave me a book and he was like, be careful what you ingest, not just about what you eat, what you ingest. Like if I watch a scary movie, my baby inside of me doesn't know it's fiction because my body is still feeling fear. So he's like, just be careful what you read. If I'm watching the news and it gives me a little bit of anxiety, oh. it's giving anxiety to my baby, right? And so he goes, but by the way, not just because you're pregnant, like in in general, you should really curate what you're ingesting. And so I went through my feed and I was like, mm. why am I, first of all, I had every news feed, right? I had BBC, CNN, da, 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 World News, ugh, Washington Post, New York Times. And I was like, why do I have so much news? I'm unfollowing the news. And then I, I was like, I'm unfollowing mean Twitter accounts. Like that were funny, they're funny, but like, they're kind of mean. And I was like, I don't, I'm going to unfollow. I don't mm-hmm. want that in my ecosystem. And, uh, and then I found a good news movement, right? And I was like, good news and fun stuff and beautiful, Mm -hmm. inspirational stuff. And and now that's me, that's my algorithm. So now I get all kinds of shit. So imagine that how easy that was for me to just go click, click, click. (laughs) And now I'm in communities that I, I didn't even know were out there, but it was literally like click, 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 and I'm in. And so I think it's, it's easier now Mm -hmm. to create, create, like-minded communities. I do think the danger of that is we become silent, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like, you know, you're going to get a lot of cat videos and you're a cat person and now you're going to get cat food and you're going to get cat socks and you're going to get the cat Mm -hmm. sweater. It's a, it does like, Mm -hmm. you do have to diversify. Um, I hope you're getting the cat sweaters, (laughs) (laughs) but as far as branding, uh, that's a different, 
that's a, I think that's a different animal. And I think it's going to be interesting how brands do it because like, like if you think of like Adidas and, and, you know, the bigger brands who are enter Gucci and Versace, like a lot of people are entering the web three and metaverse space, um, in interesting ways, but we'll see how if it works. Right. Like, I don't I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work with brands specifically. It is completely baffling um, to just like draw upon one thread that that Eva hit on there um, that we can literally sit at our desks or in our office and reach millions, billions of people around the world in an instant. Like you think about historically what a time it is to be alive today as a creator or as, you know, any person trying to reach reach others like the most famous artists. Uh, you know, 200, 300, 400 years ago, 100 years ago, they really didn't become famous until after they were dead. And the reason is because it took information so long to travel around the world. Like it literally had to be like hand taken to a different place and the paintings had to be sold and the music had to be like hand transcribed and disseminated. And now you can do all of that in an instant from your desk. And so conversely, sorry to interrupt you, but conversely, (laughs) our attention spans are so shitty that three Three to eight seconds of content is all we remember <laughs> when we see. Well, we this have stuff to train our, our attention. I mean, we have yeah, to train our and attention. So like many that is a more skill. People out there vying for our attention. So, like, I don't think like Andy Warhol could exist today huh. because um, I think he would be maybe popular. I don't know. Like Tom Sachs right now is like super famous for his like Tom Sachs shoe. You know, some of these artists that are like really getting hyper famous, even in the music sphere or the entertainment sphere, like. I worry that like their time period for fame is so much shorter because people are recycling and trending to the next thing so quickly. Well, you wonder whether that's going to be lasting or if that's going to be, you know, a flash in the pan is I guess the question I would have is like, is the evergreen stuff like the stuff people are going to remember in the year 2100 going to be the people that really, you know, did the deep work, like the people that followed, you know, the Einstein principle of like spending all of your energy on one thing, like an Andy Warhol or like these geniuses, or is it going to be the people that like hacked the algorithm really well and were able to go trend <laughs> on TikTok because of whatever dance move or thing that they're doing, which like, I'm a terrible dancer. I'm a proud, terrible dancer, but I can't do any of the TikTok <laughs> dance moves. Um, Same. But I, it's a good, it's a good question. What about what about how do you think about community, Sahil? So like, I mean, you have a newsletter, you have all social media, but that's like one to many. Like, what are the best tools right now for people who really want to create conversation outside of the traditional like? Yeah, and you can reply to my tweets. Like, I, I don't. I think that's kind of BS. Yeah, I I think it's a big opportunity actually for a company to come in and build like the de facto um, you know software tool for creators to build community right now. You know, if you were to go do that, and I've looked into doing this, you sort of like your suite of options is basically jerry rigging something that is really built for enterprise into your creator mold. So you take like, you know, Slack and you repurpose it for a community that maybe Discord. you stand up or you take yeah. Circle or Discord, which I, I hate Discord as a product. Generally, I just oh find God. it like not super intuitive. Oh, it's not I know that's user not very friendly. Web3 of me to say, but I just like. No, oh, it just it's stresses cool. me out. Like I just get it's stressed a purple out monster using it. on the icon. Yeah. Like it's not, um, it's not uh, mainstream. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I think like there's, you know, there's an opportunity to do that because at the end of the day, like community is really driven by whether, um, whether you have organic interactions 
by and amongst the people within your within your uh, following. It can't be just you interacting with, you know, Eva has 6 million followers on Twitter. Like she can't have a community on Twitter because you can't interact with 6 million people. It's ridiculous to even think. What you really need is those fans, those individuals interacting with each other. And yeah. so there's going to be some great companies that are built around that concept of like, you know, allowing it, making it much easier for communities to spring up around these, you know, decentralized points of trust that individuals are bringing. Eva, is there anything you're using for community? How do you, how do you get your millions of people to talk to each other? Do you? Yeah, Twitter. Yeah, you're right, Zahil. Twitter, they kind of find each other and they do their own like meetups and stuff like that. So I love it because they meet up and just talk about me. Um, but no, uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I act like, I mean, not act, that's not the right word because I'm authentic in my approach, but like, I'm like, Hey guys, what are you guys doing? I read comments. I, I do Twitter spaces. I do Instagram lives. I love, um, you know, I was just for the elections. I was doing a lot of IG lives with a lot of candidates. And I was like, look, you guys, I have a very international fan base. So I warned them in advance. Hey guys, there's going to be a lot of American stuff coming in the next two weeks because we have elections. I get it. I'm sure you're tired of it. And they'll jump on the IG live and say, and say things like from France and from this. And I'm like, Hey, so I, I like to think I am engaging with my, you know, 9 million people. But, um, but I, I think it's cool when, when the, it's the point of it is like they find each other and it's like unlikely bedfellows mm -hmm. too. Cause a fan of mine could be a Republican and Democrat. A fan of mine could be an Iranian and a, uh, you know, another person. Mm -hmm. So I just think it, it yeah, it's like it, it, it creates strange bedfellows. What about, okay. Five years from now, yes or no, you will have a, a character of yourself in the metaverse that can be interacting with all these fans every hour of the day. Oh yeah. Well, I think using I do AI, already using your voice, I think I already using have everything a... you would normally say. Oh yeah. No, not that, but I do have, um, I do have an avatar and I, I, I'm in Chopraverse right now. I go and meditate in, in Chopraverse. <laughs> I, I'm going to get a house in Chopraverse. Um, but yeah, no, I, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. That would be fun. I think it's going to be fun to, <laughs> to do. It's just the next evolution of this aggregating communities, right? Like the people I have on Twitter can go find me in the metaverse. It's the same idea, just a different location. Sahil, do you think people are going to clone themselves and use AI and sort of VR to connect more regularly with their audiences? I think it's hard to argue that that won't be a bigger part of our lives in five to 10 years. I, I don't think on that time span, it's going to be like widely, you know, uh, proliferate. Like, I don't think uh, my parents or like, you know, uh, normal non-techie people are maybe going to experience it quite as much, but it has to be, you know, a much bigger uh, thing than it is today in my view. It's just like the technology has gotten so much better. AI now is like almost terrifyingly good um, to the point where actually I think that the way to stand out is to have personality because AI mm. is going to disrupt so much of the like non-personality side of being human. Like I think about writing, I could have an AI now like write my newsletter for me and that mm -hmm. would, you know, pe most people like wouldn't notice. And so I think about that a lot of like as a creator, as an influencer, if you're going to continue to build in this space, 
how are you actually building a human connection with the people that are following you? Because if you don't, and it goes back to what Eva said earlier about being vulnerable and sharing your struggle and your vulnerabilities along the way, if you don't do that, you're going to get disrupted by machine learning and by AI because it's going to be able to replicate. And frankly, maybe it is able to eventually replicate personality. That's kind of scary to me. And that's like some dystopian future that I don't really like to think about. Um, But it's like, uh, you might've heard of this. It's like called the pratfall effect. There's basically this idea that uh, people find it endearing when someone that they consider like perfect has issues or like makes some mistake. (laughs) And so, you know, if I like admire you, Britt, and I think you're the most amazing person and then you share some like loss that you took or some, you know, bad investment you made or something like that, I find it actually more connection and more endearing that you're willing to share that and that you made a mistake. Um, And I think that's a huge part of building that trust and building connection over the long run for creators. Well, I can train my AI to make mistakes too and to be imperfect. It's like an 80 20 rule 80% perfect, 20% imperfect. Yeah. Um, well, I think it has huge implications for this creator economy thing. Like, I, I yeah. can dub my voice now, I can dub my, my video, like a video of me. I could do this whole podcast in AI if I want. I think that has a lot of advantages for creators who need to be creating all this content all the time, but it also is like weird and scary and it's like not human. So, you know, I think to your point, like the best question I could ask is like, how do you stand out? Yeah. How do you stand out? Yeah. I don't know how you stand out in the metaverse. When everyone, when when people have these AIs. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but I will say, I think a lot of people are intimidated by just the thought of it. I was just, just wrapping my head around web three and, and blockchain and cryptocurrency, I was like, but it's fake money. What is it? Like, and then obviously with this disruption in that space right now, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, create more trust in this new economy. Um, but, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know to answer your question. (laughs) No, all good. Okay, so as we wrap, I want to ask you both one last question, the same question, which is someone comes up to you or someone that's listening right now um, is seeking the same advice. What would you tell them about the best way that they could be successful in a public manner and to stand out over the next two to three years? I can go first. Oh, so, um, yeah. I guess I I would I I would go back to sitting down and thinking about what are you learning about or wanting to learn about that you find interesting every single day. And Eva talked about the concept of like food, uh, and it, it you know she laughed about it, but that's a perfect example. It's like if you're super excited about food and all different cooking techniques and you know weird things that are happening with pasta sauce and meatballs, whatever, like you can build a real core audience around that. If you're excited about it, other people are going to be excited about it because it's going to come across genuinely. It's always the people that try to get into this stuff with like, you know, a cl- it's just obvious when someone is just doing something to hack an algorithm and when they're just like yeah. playing the game for the sake of playing it. And those followers that you're getting are like, they're literally worth nothing. There's no value to that because there's no connection. There's no human connection and no like genuine trust that's being built. And so like, that's what I always come back to is if you're going to start out and you want to go build, 
you know, you want to build anything, it has to start from a point of being genuine around what you're interested in and sharing it on a consistent basis. Because if you're not able to do it consistently, you're never going to have any progress. It's like the Mr. Beast story, Mm -hmm. seven years, every single day until he got a video that did over a thousand views. Think about that. And if you're willing to do that, that means that it's something that you really care about, something that you're going to be really excited to share on that long-term basis. I agree. It's it's about who you want. First of all, do you want to be an influencer? Really ask yourself that because, um, you know, this has to be like, oh, I'm going to really, you know, commit to doing this. It's it's a whole, like I said, it's a whole thing. You need equipment, you need time, you need dedication, you need to learn 10 apps to edit, you need to, it's a lot, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> so I would think if you're going to learn all that, like, is there something else that maybe you might be good at, <laughs> but really check about, but like I said, I always, I just think all influence, all good influencers that I follow is because they're good at something. They're good at something. They're, they're chefs, they're dog experts, they're environmentalists that are educating me. They are like their job, their day job is something else. Their passion is something else. The, the social media is just a tool for them to get across this information. And so, um, I think that's, you know, that's what Sahil was hitting at is like, yeah, you know, you, you find out who you are and who you're responsible, what, what you like. But even, even before that, I think it's, it's, you know, do something really well. And the byproduct of that it will be success, whether it's social media, whether it's your bank account, whether it's your clients, um, you know, it's whatever you actually do. That's, that's who, who really survives yeah. in the game. Even fashion influencers. Like I know so many fashion influencers, they are basically stylists. Like I go to them for styling tips and they give, they, they're giving me information. They're really good at this. They're not sitting there waiting for brands to send them clothes so they can post. And I think that's what people think they are, but the good fashion influencers know the history of Chanel. And they're like, you don't understand how rare this is because like they're really passionate and love this thing. Like they could go and be a stylist or work at a fashion magazine outside of this. That's how good they are. So a lot of times, you know, makeup, makeup, people who do makeup, they're not sitting at home waiting for boxes of makeup to arrive. They actually are makeup artists and they have clients and they do weddings and they, you know, so yeah, I think it's along those lines of like, use social media as a tool. And I think the the byproduct of that is, oh my God, you're an influencer. I love that. And I think, so I think just to summarize what I'm hearing, I mean, Sahil saying, be authentic to your craft, to the thing that you love and be consistent at it. Um, And Eva, what you're adding on is provide your audience with a takeaway, like give them something of value Mm -hmm. as you're doing that. And then on the flip side, if you are somebody out there listening to this and you're like, well, I don't want to be an influencer or creator. Like, I think same thing, what Eva said earlier, curate your feed to the people that are giving you value and like real takeaways. And I love that Mm -hmm. quote that you said from Deepak of like, be careful what you're ingesting. Because Mm -hmm. if you are curating your world to only receive the value that you really want to receive, then hopefully you will be learning and, and, and thriving every single day. So, um, I think, I think we can wrap it there. I think that's, I think those are some really successful, um, uh, ways to, to move forward. And I think the big thing is, you know, who knows what will unfold over the next few years. And so then again, what do we know? You know, <laughs> this, this conversation could be irrelevant in two months. 
Totally. Take uh, it from us, but don't take it from us. <laughs> Saw and the one, yeah, I, the, I mean, the one last thing I would say, I thought Eva said it best earlier on, which is that time is your one true currency. And so mm. when you are going after any of these things, make sure that mm. you are ruthlessly thinking about the value of your time. And mm-hmm. I, I think she said you're either investing it, spending it, or wasting it. I love that framing around it. Um, and it's so, so true. When you're young, you really just think that time is endless. Like you're never going to get mm-hmm. old. You're never going to you know, be running out of it. And it sneaks up on you really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so if you're wasting your time around silly things or you're prioritizing trying to become rich and famous and you, know, you spend 10 years trying to do that, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't pan out because there was nothing to it, what you were trying to build, um, you really need to be ruthless about time. Mm-hmm. I love that. Sahil Bloom, Eva Longoria, thank you so much for joining us today on First in Line. Um, We will drop their handle so you can make sure to follow them, subscribe to their newsletters, be in community with them, (laughs) read their books, buy their tequila, all the things. Um, And we'll put that in the show notes. Um, But but thank you both again. I thought this was fascinating. And um, we really learned a lot today. Thank Thanks you so, so much. much. I do have a bottle of uh, of Eva's tequila arriving Yay. within the next two hours right now. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to I'll, I'll toast to it. Hopefully for a U.S. victory, Casa oh, del Sol, well, Anejo Reserve. Are you in Miami? I'll make or sure to you follow your LA? tweets like about three hours from now. So see what's happening with that tequila. <laughs> no, I'm in New York. Oh, okay. it says deliveries so, available. Is it not? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, oh, L.A., I forgot okay. it was. But but in New York and Miami, we ha- you can get it to your house because they deliver alcohol. Yeah, exactly. So I've got it coming, hopefully in time to toast a U.S. victory. Yay. Yes, one to zero. Awesome. Still one to zero, so that's good. And uh, just just tequila and Twitter. I, I would love to see how that goes for you later today, Sahil. So you might <laughs> jump on that. I'll post exactly. a picture. So that was a really enlightening conversation for me on multiple fronts because I am someone who is obviously a citizen of the internet and a consumer of influencer content. I am an investor and looking at trends into what is the future of this creator economy and how are things like AI shaping up to change the way we all interact online. And I'm someone who literally called her first company Brit and Co. (laughs) And having never been on camera before, had to plaster my face all over the brand to go on national television, I don't know, a hundred times where I wrote a book, I'm doing podcasts. I've, I continue to be an influencer, I guess, which I just hate to say about myself. So how do I think of this? Well, first of all, let me tell you a story. In 2018, on January 1st of that year, I decided instead of choosing one New Year's resolution, I would choose 52. And I would do one of them every week for the 52 weeks of the year. And I would post every single day to Instagram on my story to show people what I was doing or learning that week. I did this literally every day of the 365 days of that year. I was not wearing makeup. I was failing a lot. I was doing things like learning to play guitar. I dyed my hair blonde for a week and literally walked into like board meetings. I um, learned all different types of art and creativity projects. I went on diets. I tried fitness routines. I was a Lyft driver. I literally tried just about everything. The result was 
that I had created the biggest spike of follower growth I've ever had on Instagram. I had the most engagement in my stories that I've ever had on Instagram. I probably had hundreds, if not thousands of messages coming in to my DMs every day that I stayed up late answering. I had all kinds of people participating in the challenges with me and tagging me. So you could argue this was a huge success as an influencer. The downside was I was posting content every day. I felt tied to this thing. I have never been able to replicate what I did back then because frankly, it's just exhausting. And so personally, as an influencer, I'm torn by how to be this authentic person that is real when she shows up online. And I do believe I'm always authentic, but how to have the consistency and feed the algorithm and respond to every DM and really participate in the culture that is the creator economy these days. On the flip side, the irony here is, and this is where it gets into my investor spiel, I do think AI is going to change the way that influencers are creating content, scaling themselves. Literally this year, spoiler alert, my holiday photo card is a picture of my whole family that I created using AI. And it looks exactly like all of us took like a studio photo shoot together. <laughs> that means I never had to do my hair and makeup and do a family photo shoot and dress my kids in outfits that they hated and like hire a photographer for like a few hundred dollars. And that was awesome. And I think it's funny too, because it's so topical right now. And if you haven't listened to the past episode on AI on First in Line, you should definitely go back and do that. But The downside is it's not really me, right? And so you can imagine me and any influencer years from now automating their content, you know, having a a chat bot that looks and sounds just like them that's interacting with you on Twitter DMs, on Instagram DMs, who's making TikTok videos, and it's never really them. So it's not authentic, but it's consistent. You can see how these two worlds are at odds, right? (laughs) I'm still a little perplexed by this. I think some people will continue to drive forward with the AI creator economy driven future. I think some people will continue to be authentic and less consistent. And I think some people out there will find the right balance of the two. On the human front, though, my biggest takeaway is how much of this do we need in our lives? How much do we want to continue to ingest? Do we need to let it into our life or limit it into our life? Right now, I'm very much in a limiting phase. I'm gearing up to have a third baby. I want to spend more time with my family. I'm working on multiple businesses. I'm investing in multiple businesses. I just don't need as much noise in my life as I used to. And I think we're all feeling that right now. So where is that right balance? And how are we going to, as Eva said, fine-tune our feeds to make that balance be one that we want to ingest on a daily basis? Those are my takeaways for you today. I don't know if I have solid answers on any of them. I do have solid ideas of where this could all go. But I think it's up to you to create the life that you want to lead in the public eye online or the life that you want to lead as one of the bystanders and the consumers of everyone else in the public eye. And the reality is we're all kind of a combination of both, no matter what. So ironically, I beg of you to DM me on social and hit me up if you have thoughts on where you think this is all going to play out 
or how you are living your best life as a social media consumer or a creator, what tools and technologies you're excited about in the future, which things scare you in the future. I want to create discourse around this. I want to create community around this. And I guess I kind of do want to spend more of my time online with all of you guys in the most authentic and consistent way possible. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode. Send me your takeaways and we will see you all next week. If you liked this episode, I would love for you to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your shows. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Brit on just about every social network, or you can follow the podcast at First In Line. 